0: Amen. Well, it is my privilege coming into land. I think we've got just one more week after this as we've been looking at our journey called A Peck of Salt. Now, for Kids Ministry, we're doing a parallel series and their series is called Me to We. And that's the heart of what this journey is all about. It's learning to think community. We live in a very individualistic, humanistic society where it's all about me. But that's very different to what Scripture says. In Scripture, it's about us. We are the community, the body of Christ, and part of our salvation means changing the way we think from a me to a we. In fact, uh, some people have got it wrong, and they think this series is called a a speck of salt. It's not. It's the opposite. In fact, we're moving from a speck to a peck of salt. A peck of salt is about 10 kilograms of salt. That's surely the biggest salt seller you've ever seen in your life. Church, this is built on a prophetic word from God, not a nice little saying, no, no, a prophetic word from God to us as outlookers. Outlook, I want you to eat a peck of salt together. In other words, what God is saying is church, we need to be eating more meals together. We need to move from a friendly church to being a church of friends, a church who understand community, a church who gather together, who eat meals together, so that we're not just a crowd on Sundays, but we're a community of believers together. Amen? So how's it going? Have you been eating any meals lately with other members of Outlook Church? Not your family members, but other members of Outlook Church? Because that's what God is calling us to. And uh, if you haven't yet, we're going to be trying to arrange some, uh, some creative pick-of-salt banquets as well. And maybe some of you will begin to host uh, a pick-of-salt banquet, inviting people, some that you don't even know, gathering around and having meals together. But let's focus once again. Why is this so important? Because our God is a God who loves fellowship with his people. I want you to catch this as a revelation because remember, we reflect the revelation that we have of God. We see and reflect. And I want us to see today that the God that we serve is not just a God in heaven up there somewhere who wants to rule from the heavens. Our God loves fellowship with his people. It's crucial that we see that. And, and here are a couple of examples. All the way back in the book of Genesis, it says in Genesis 3 verse 8, Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that beautiful? You can just imagine that would have been God's routine every afternoon. God would come down and walk with Adam. How did it go today? Did you find any interesting creatures? And he would have said, Father, what were you thinking? I saw this animal today that's got a neck that's literally six feet tall. What what were you thinking? Ah, the giraffe. Now you can imagine they were talking with one another, fellowshipping together in the cool of the day. In Leviticus 26 verse 12, it says, Ah, God speaking, will walk among you and be your God and you'll be my people. Isn't that beautiful? This is the God, I'll walk among you, not just God in heaven, but walk among you and be your God and you'll be my people. I want us to understand that our primary calling, the calling upon our lives out of darkness into light, but the actual primary calling upon your life and my call, my life, is actually a call into fellowship with Jesus. That's what you've been called. You've been called out of darkness into fellowship with Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord. I love that. Scott, the father's calling you into fellowship with Jesus. Calling you into fellowship. That's his desire for you and I. When we repent of our sin, the Old Testament, the focus was repenting from sin, turn from your sins. And yes, we should turn from our sins, but in the New Testament, the primary repentance is not just from sin, but to fellowship with Jesus. In other words, repentance is not just saying, oh, sorry, Lord, our sin. No, we're sorry for our sin, and we turn into fellowship with Jesus. Because sin always separates us. But as we repent, we repent into fellowship. It says in... Revelation 3 verse 20, here I am, said Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's the calling to repentance. It's a calling back to the table with Jesus, back into fellowship with Jesus. Not just turning from sin, but to fellowship, intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to see it to reflect it. And when we catch that revelation, our God is looking for fellowship. He hasn't called us to religion and rules, but to fellowship. As we see it, we'll begin to reflect it in our lives as well. And what we've been trying to catch through the heart of this journey is that the normal Christian life, a dining room table, should play a pivotal role. And I'm trusting that through this journey, we'll be redeeming, dusting off, cleaning up our dining room tables so that we use them as a family, so that we use them for friendship, for evangelism, for reconciliation. And what I want to focus on today is how Jesus used the dining room table for discipleship. Now remember church, our mission statement as a church, Outlook Church, we make disciples. That's our mission statement because that's the commission that Jesus gave us. As the Father sent me, said Jesus, I'm sending you into the world. Why? To go and make disciples of all nations. We make disciples. That's the commission, the mission of our lives, to make disciples. And for many, we kind of, well, that means going to church once a week. No, 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 it's much more than that. Every one of us, the normal Christian life, should be at the center of it. Lord, we're here on earth not just to take up space, we're here to bring you glory by making disciples. It's central to our lives. Now what I want us to see today is that the dining room table, I believe, was a primary tool that Jesus used to make disciples. And I would love us to catch the heart of that, to catch a normal Christian life. I want my life to involve sitting at a table, a coffee table, a dining room table, a breakfast table, a dinner table, and learning to disciple people well. So that's where we're heading this morning and uh, I want to read to you our next meal that we've been studying in the book of Luke. We've been looking at various meals Jesus has had and today I want to have a look in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. We're going to study that passage today and see what Jesus was actually doing around the table. Was discipling not just his twelve, but Mary and Martha as well. You've heard me quote and reference sometimes uh, John uh, Maxwell. He's uh, he was a pastor for about twenty five years, and then he's now devoted himself to teaching, leadership to churches, pastors, and then even into the business world as well. But this guy, John Maxwell, has had on his heart for years to truly bring transformation into nations. And in fact, the doors of opportunity open Through his influence, he's met with various presidents who've actually said, Please, come and help us bring transformation into our nation. And he said, I'll do it, but it's got to start from the top. It's got to start with the president, with the cabinet, with the big influences. And in some of the nations he's worked with, that's literally happened. And they've come up with a system of values to teach people the influences in a nation to try and instill good values into that nation. And guess how they've chosen to do it? After all of his experience in research and testing and trying, they discovered the way to bring transformation is not to gather huge crowds and try and teach them, but to gather around dining room tables. In fact, they call them transformation tables. And it's not just hearing one person talk, but it's sitting around a a table of ten, of eight to ten people discussing and talking. That's where transformation happens. It's not a new idea. Jesus has been doing it. Did it thousands of years ago, and he's called us as his followers to do the same. So here at the table, we see relationship. Jesus... Was invited and Jesus went. He walked through doors of opportunity where there were relational bridges. He loved to sit and have meals with people. I want to encourage you. Take every opportunity. If you have people around, invite them for a meal. If people invite you, step in. Even if you don't know them, step in. Jesus loved spending time. That's where friendships will be birthed. That's where relationships grow. Discipleship is relationship-based training and teaching. And when there's a relationship, our hearts are open to learn from one another, to ask the questions that are going on inside of us. There was relationship around the table. There was also teaching. said, Mary sat at his feet listening. A discipleship table, teaching does happen, whether it's a father speaking to his boys, mom speaking to the family, whether it's a small group, and more and more of the connect groups are kind of moving from the lounge back to dining room tables. Because often it's there where discussion happens and we learn from one another. There was also correcting. Martha, Mary's chosen something better and it's not going to be taken from her. Jesus lovingly corrected her. That's part of discipleship. All of us, we've got blind spots, areas we need to grow in our lives, but it's out of relationship, intimacy, where you can challenge one another and grow. And of course, there was encouragement as well. Mary, you've chosen something better. It's not going to be taken from you. Tables of encouragement, correction, relationship, teaching, that's discipleship. So I want to take a couple of moments, 10 minutes this morning, and just remind us, church, of what it means to be a discipleship people. I'm absolutely convinced that the future of the church, in the future of the church, this truth is going to be restored. And I'm going to explain it in a moment, but I think if we genuinely, if we're serious about trusting that we can prepare the way for Jesus to return, the only way we can do it, church, is by regaining this truth. where ordinary believers learn to make disciples. Where discipleship moves from a, a class and a teaching to every one of us learning to multiply our faith. So let me go through a few questions. Let me remind you, what is discipleship? Discipleship in its simplest form is simply learning to take someone under your wing to train them. That's what it is. I remember watching a series on, uh, on TV. Some of you have watched The Rookie. It was, it was quite a fun series about this old guy who decides to join the police force. And he goes and he gets trained. But what I loved and what inspired me was, was how intentional they were. If you were a new police officer, you didn't just get out there onto the streets For at least a year, you were assigned a training officer, and everything you did, you did with your training officer, and it was their job to teach you, train you, give you feedback. It was so intentional, and I thought, they're getting it right. Why aren't we, as a church, we've been commissioned. Jesus has called us. It should become the natural thing when a newbie comes to Jesus, and and they give their life to Christ under their wing. While I was in uh, Plettenberg Bay, I met this delightful guy, they, they call him PJ, he's, like, he's tall, he's a black guy with an English accent. He came out from London to uh, Plettenberg Bay because he was a drug addict, and it's much cheaper doing rehabilitation in South Africa than it is in England. So he came out to South Africa to, to be rehabbed, and he gave his life to Jesus. One of the guys at the rehab is part of the church and ministered the gospel, and he's got radically saved. So I said to him, and we were having coffee, and I said, hey, tell me what happened. He said, I haven't a clue what happened. You're a pastor. You tell me what happened. All I know is something's changed. I love that. But here's someone brand new, no Christian background. What he needs is not, oh, find your seat in the church every Sunday. No, no, he needs someone to take him under their wing, answer their questions, encourage God, bring them through. I noticed that because I love airports, I love airplanes and I've, I've sat many times in departure lounges in international airports around the world and I love looking at people and, and I love looking, hey there's the pilots. But you never see a pilot by himself, you always see there's the captain and there's his co-pilot. They always walk together because in the airline industry they've got it right. You see, the job of the captain is to take the co-pilot and let him do as much of the flying as possible so that he can be trained and ready so that he can become a captain. They've got it right. Have we? Have we, church, got it right to take people under our wing and teach them the basics of following Jesus? When I graduated as an engineer, I got my degree. It was freshly printed and I went off to my first job in a factory up in Joburg and I was clueless. I mean, I knew a lot of formula. I knew how to measure temperature. I mean, I knew how to calculate temperature and how to control this and that. But I didn't even know actually what a temperature thermocouple looked like in the factory. And one of the technicians, he had mercy on me. And so for a whole year, he took me under his wing and actually showed this young, fresh engineer who was clueless, this is what it actually looks like in a factory. And I'm so grateful for that. When I gave my life to Jesus about 33 years ago, Not really understanding anything. I knew there was a Bible, but I didn't know there were such things as books about Jesus and how to study the Bible and how to grow as a Christian. But there was a guy in my class, Derek, he took me under his wing. And for a whole lot of time, he took me to youth. He took me to church. He connected me to his parents who were elders in the church who answered my questions. I'm so grateful to have been discipled. I want to ask you, church, have you caught the heart of what it means to be a discipler? If Jesus wants to add more and more people out of our city, getting saved radically, I believe what he's looking for is a people who are willing to take them under their wing. Discipleship is critical. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them. Teaching them to obey. There's that practical element. How do we do it? Let's walk this through in your life till you understand what it means to walk like Jesus. To obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why is it so important? Well, all the way back in Genesis, there's something we learn about our heavenly father, our creator God. In Genesis 1 verse 12, it says, The land produced vegetation plant bearing seeds, plants bearing seed according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now it's weird that I'd read such a scripture, but I love the fact that it says, and fruit with seeds in it. Now be honest with me, when you go and buy grapes at pick and pay or checkers and spa, what kind of grapes do you buy? Yeah, exactly. Seedless grapes. Why? Because they're sweet and convenient. But that's not God's design. He produced fruit with seeds in it. Now, this is the challenge I felt God put in my heart. For 20 years of ministry, have you been producing seedless grapes? Sweet Christians who love convenience. Or are we growing and maturing believers who have seed in them that can multiply? If it's only the kind of professionals, the pastors and elders, they do the ministry and everyone else just, no, 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 that's seedless grapes. If you're not able to multiply yourself as a disciple, then you're a seedless grape. And I believe God's calling us to repent, to say, no, actually, Lord, your pattern and plan is that we would reproduce ourselves. We would have the confidence and the skill to be able to multiply what you've done in our lives into the lives of others. I did uh, a few calculations and some of you will remember me sharing them. When we had our 20th birthday, it made me think back to what if on the day when Kate and I, we had our first meeting, some of you were here and there were seven of us in the school hall and we had our first church meeting. Imagine if on that day, Kate and I had completely committed ourselves to just making one disciple a year. Every year, investing in one person so that they were confident to be able to multiply their faith the next year that would mean from then till now there would have been 21 disciples 20 disciples that I would have made Kate would have made 20 disciples but guess how many people would be in the church over 2 million people would be in the church because you see multiplication it just exponentially grows it doubles and doubles and doubles think about this Google will tell you that there's about 2.6 billion Christians in the world. I think that's too many. Let's round it down to 2 billion. That's too many. If we took 10%, 200 million, that's too many. If we took 1%, 20 million, that's too many. Let's take 0,1, one-tenth of 1% of the Christians in the world, 2 million people. And those 2 million Christians said, yes, we are going to make one disciple a year. We're going to invest in them take them under our wing, encourage them, meet with them, pray with them, teach them, and hold them accountable until they're ready to make a disciple, how long would it take before Jesus returned? No more than 12 years, because it would just take 12 years, and then we would have had more than 8 billion disciples, and there's no one else to disciple, so Jesus might as well come back. Does that make sense? I'm busy having my midlife crisis at the moment. I'm turning 50 in a couple of months' time. So now imagine hypothetically, now, now you know, midlife crisis, you want significance in your life. Okay, so imagine if I live to be 80, I'm just turning 50, that's 30 more years I might have, God willing. And I committed those 30 years, I said, yes, Lord, I'm gonna make one disciple a year. Please, Holy Spirit, lead me to one person to disciple them well so that they could multiply their faith to someone else one person a year. That would mean from 50 to 80, I could disciple 30 people. But if everyone who was impacted by that decision, because those 30 are also making a disciple a year, and those they disciple are also making a disciple a year, guess how many people would come to my funeral if only those people who were impacted by that decision came to the funeral? We would have a problem with social distancing. It would be over one billion people. One billion people if you don't believe me take out your phone put it on calculator put two times equals 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 do it 30 times and you'll realize one decision could impact one billion people one disciple a year are you catching my heart i know it's idealistic but this was the model that jesus gave to his church not addition but multiplication not sweet convenient seedless grapes But grapes that have got seeds in them, that can multiply. So, before I run out of time, who should be making disciples? Well, ideally every one of us. We should all be great commissioned Christians. So if you've been a follower of Jesus for more than a year, then you should have been being discipled, and now you should be, okay, I'm ready. I'm trusting you, Lord, to begin to disciple someone else. I spoke to a lady a couple of months back, She'd been a Christian for 15 years, had been on all of the outreaches, had done the Bible classes, loved Jesus. Her kids loved Jesus. She was serving God passionately. And I said to her, please can you disciple this other lady? She's new to the faith. She looked at me and she said, I could never do that. I'm not qualified. That's the problem. You see, sometimes we think to us, Well, what qualification are you looking for? It's not qualification. There's two things. Number one, there's confidence. And this is why we put tools together. We realized the biggest speed bump to get people, there's two speed bumps. Speed bump number one is your own confidence to feel like you could disciple someone. That's why if you haven't done our disciples training, there it is. You can have a look at it. You saw that little slide earlier. If you haven't yet done our disciples training, we anticipated your excuse and we've rebutted it. So uh, you can find on our website, the Disciples Training. We can take you to it at the the info desk. They can show you how to get there. We would love more of you to do that training. Some of you have signed up and haven't finished it. Finish the training and get connected. Some of you need to be discipled. You've never been discipled well. Well, we need some guinea pigs to practice on. (laughs) So if you're willing to be discipled in an intentional discipleship journey, number one was confidence. Number two convenience. Is it convenient? No, it's not. It's not convenience to have kids either. But have kids because the Bible says go and multiply. And you don't wait for kids to be convenient. You build your life around the kids because you love them in the same way. If you are too busy to make disciples, you are too busy. Because God's will and intent for your life is to make disciples. I love old... uh, Graham Lawrence, some of you know Uncle Graham in the church. He's inspired me. Quiet man. Many of you haven't even met him before. And yet I can look back in his life at the impact. He's never going to get up front here and preach and minister. But the impact of his life by committing like a bulldog. And that's what's needed to disciple people. Like a bullock to take hold of someone, I'm gonna walk this journey with you. I'm not gonna let you go. I'm gonna hold you accountable. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna keep on encouraging you until you break through in your relationship with Jesus. So let me land with this. The discipleship process happens through intentionality. Jesus prayed through the night. He said, Lord, Father, show me. Out of all of these disciples who wanna be my disciples, give me 12 names. Maybe you need one name, just one name a year. Lord, who is it? Why don't you start praying, asking the Lord? There's tools available. I find it helpful to, when I'm discipling someone, to have, and there's amazing, there's apps that can help you, there's little booklets that can help you to share some content and ask some questions. There's tools available. You can find them at the info desk. But then, it means adjusting your lifestyle one hour a week. Not even for the whole year, because you just got to make one disciple a year. Could I commit one hour a week? For me, it was normally a Wednesday around lunchtime to meet with someone for coffee. Meet some guys on a Friday morning. There's the hour, early morning Friday. Quinton, I love it. He was in the habit of coming early. While we're at second service, he would be first service meeting with someone one-on-one. I see some people after the the meetings, there. they stay an extra hour, sitting together, couple with couple, or one-on-one, doing some discipleship together. It means making an intentional decision, asking God for a name, connecting up with them for a coffee and inviting them, hey, have you been discipled properly? Would you like to walk a journey? Maybe a three-month journey, meeting together. Then a friendship's formed and you'll keep on that friendship as you encourage them to grow. My friends, that is the most significant decision we could make. So let me land. One One of the most encouraging signs in a believer's life is when their Bible is falling apart. we met people like that. They carry their Bible to church or something, and you can see it's held together with scooby wire and duct tape and all sorts of things. Because someone once said, if your Bible is falling apart, your life probably isn't. You'll get it. <laughs> One of the concerning signs is when the, the duomeni pops in for a visit, and you can see the blown the dust off the top of the Bible because the dominie is coming to visit. My challenge is that for some of us, we might have a little bit of proverbial dust on our dining room tables. Maybe you don't even use your dining room table. Maybe you don't even have. Have you got a dining room table yet? Still not. Repent. Okay, anyway, just in-house issue right here with the elders. But here's the challenge. Lord, we, we want our dining room tables to count for Jesus A dining room table, that's where he established those 12 disciples. Every day for three years, they had meals together around a dining room table. What happened during the day got discussed around the table at night. Families, that's where you're going to be discipling your kids, around dining room tables, not watching TV, sitting around a dining room table together. Connect groups, more and more, moving from lounges around dining room tables. Inviting friends after a meeting on a Sunday or during the weeks, choosing a night of the week and saying this is our night to invite people. Inviting strangers, inviting those who don't see eye to eye and who are those Lord who we should be discipling intentionally. My challenge for you, your dining room table, has it been dedicated to the Lord? That's what this peck of salt journey is all about. This is not the primary gathering of the church. These should be the primary gatherings of the church because that's where transformation happens. Let's use our tables as tables of discipleship in Jesus' name. Amen? If you do want to find out more info about either studied training to be a disciple or being a disciple, why don't you chat to our team at the info desk? They'd love to help you with that. But for the rest, why don't you stand with me now and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you took something simple like bread and wine and it became the centerpiece of our worship of you, Lord Jesus. As we remember the cross, your resurrection, your death, and and the power that is released through what you did for us. In the same way, Lord, you took the simple things in our lives, like a table, like a dining room table, and you helped show us how that was the center of your discipleship the center of evangelism, of reconciliation, of mission. Father, I pray in each one of our lives that you would help break something where, where normal Christianity was just going to church on a Sunday and maybe reading my Bible occasionally. Lord God, we want to we be a new prototype of believer. We want to be those who use our dining room tables for the glory of God. Lord God, we want to be those who make disciples. You don't just read about the Great Commission and pray for missionaries in the Amazon. We want to be those who use our tables for the Great Commission. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you wouldn't let this word just pass through us. I pray that this word would grip our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to use our tables for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. It's just before uh, Alana, Remember that scripture I shared, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. Remember, repentance is not just turning from sin, but turning to fellowship with Jesus. I want to ask you, church, how is your relationship with Jesus? Because if you've drifted or you've never opened the door of your heart, I would love to pray for you right now. Why don't you keep your eyes closed for a moment? You'll know it's you because there is some kind of a knocking. The Holy Spirit does it. There's a knocking that happens inside of our hearts. And if you're at that place where you want to say, the door's open, Lord. I'm humbling myself in faith today. Then I'd love you to pray this prayer. You can pray quietly in your heart, but pray, Lord, I'm opening the door today. Lord, I'm bowing my knee before you today. Jesus, I'm submitting to you as Lord and Savior today. I trust you, Lord. And I open up my heart to you. I surrender my sin to you and I turn from my sin. But from this moment on, I'm turning Jesus to follow you. I'm turning Jesus to fellowship with you. I'm surrendering my life to your Lordship. Please come and save me, Lord. Set me free from my sin. Set me free from my past. And as we fellowship together, Jesus, would you use my life for your glory? Thank you, Jesus.